Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Wonderful. Okay, moving away from the personal, we're starting a new series called Life Hack. Hey, so hopefully you've seen on Facebook some of the Lifehack videos. Um, and uh, for those of you who don't know what Lifehack means, uh, Lifehack is a modern term and it's simply a term to describe how to do life better, how to do it smarter, how to do it more efficiently, how to kind of get past all the kind of the ways of doing life and, and, and the way we just kind of just bypass a lot of things and, and just do it better. Who likes that idea? We like the idea of life hack. And and what we want to do in this series is we want to to monopolize life hack. We want you, every time you see life hack, we want you to see God's word in your mind's eye when you see the word life hack. We want want it to be like a God term above a world term. All right, and life hackers, you can go. In fact, I would encourage you go onto the internet, YouTube it, um, look uh, look up websites. There are life hack uh, uh, websites, and they just show you how to do really simple things. Cheryl um, shared a video uh, of a life hack. Um, I think it was, is it you who shared it with the with the leggings. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Emma Jane actually posted a life hack uh, of a pair of leggings. Woman come along. She took a pair of leggings. She, she literally, she cut out, uh, um, she, <laughs> she cut out the crotch. All right. So she cut it and then she puts it on a top and she, and it became a top with long arms. You can't believe it. It's quite funny. All right. It's something you're all thinking. Oh yeah. Okay. That doesn't sound like a life hack to me. It looks better than it sounds, right? So, um, I'm wishing I never started that story. Um, <laughs> but there are lots of just really, really cool tips, ways of doing life, uh, and simple things about doing life in, um, that are just really great hacks for the way you're just getting past all the different ways of doing it. And um, what we want to do in this series is we want to just talk about what does the Bible say about doing life? Because a lot of people are looking, they, they read the Bible, but they don't understand it. The Bible has a lot to say about your life. Yeah. And the Bible gives you clues and it gives you tips as to way you should do life. And if you do life according to what the Bible is saying, you will get better results. What I tend to find as a pastor, people coming and sitting down and they talk about their problems and they're discussing their problems. And what they're basically saying is, without saying it, I didn't do what the Bible told me to do and now I have a problem and I need you to help me fix it. Well, there's only one way of fixing it, bringing it back to the Word of God. (laughs) The Bible is an incredibly powerful, blessed Word which simply gives you wisdom for living. And actually, I think the Bible says a lot. It says a lot about relationships. It says a lot about raising your children. And, and Pastor John Smiley is going to be speaking about raising kids uh, and raising your kids in the house of God. And can I just say something? That, that I, I found that over the years of ministry, whenever we speak on a subject which isn't specific to everybody, you, some people do say, oh, well, that's not relevant to me. Can I say everything is relevant to you? Because you're in the family. <laughs> 
And that you might not have children, but we have children in the house, and we need you to be on the same page. Because our kids, we share our kids. Our kids, when we brought, we brought our kids up in this house, and we brought them up, and we brought them up in the house, and one of the reasons why they've grown up enjoying the house is because they've enjoyed your company too. You didn't deal badly with them. You were good to them, and you were on the same page with us, and that's why they love the house. <laughs> so we need you to understand how these things work. How do, how does, uh, why does the Bible advise um, about um, marriage, marrying one person for life? Why does it say that? We live in a society where, where, where that is becoming rarer and rarer. Isn't that true? And if you read the Bible, you find that even the great heroes weren't very good at it either. Isn't that true? So what does the Bible say? Why does the Bible say these things? Where are the tips and the clues? What does the Bible say about fashion, beauty and plastic surgery? It does say something. I mean, it doesn't mention plastic surgery, honestly. Trust me, it doesn't. I've looked, but it doesn't. And, uh, but it talks about principles that we can understand. What does the Bible say about debt? And what does the Bible say about poverty? Poverty and debt are two very different things. Debt, you can be a millionaire and owe more money than a small country. <laughs> You're still in debt. <laughs> what does the Bible say about debt? What does the Bible say about poverty? How do we deal with those issues? How do we deal with it from a God perspective? What's God saying to your life in these areas? What is God speaking to you uh, about all of these issues. What does God say about your work and your boss that you don't like? What is God saying about all that? What does the Bible say about these things and how to be blessed and how to break and how to get to the next level? How to just bypass all of that stuff? Amen? How to, what does the Bible say? The Bible has got a lot to say. And so I'm going to start by reading... Um, the scripture that has been motivating my heart is this. In James chapter 1 and verse 19, it says this. Understand this. James chapter 1 verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. We could say la that moment right there, couldn't we? <laughs> 2,000 years the Bible's been around and um, this particular... Uh, scripture has been around, give or take, a few decades. And uh, human condition is exactly the same, isn't it? Quick to, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the Word of God has, the Word of God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you carefully look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. You know, one of my little jokes that I have with myself. Who has jokes that have with themselves? Little things that make you giggle on your own. You're walking down the street, you see something. You <laughs> and it's, like, it's personal, you can't even share it. You know, kind of that kind of thing. But one of those kind of personal things that I have as I walk down the street is I look for the people who look at themselves in the shop windows as they're walking down the road. 
We all do it. And you know what? We all do it because we all do it ourselves, don't we? So often you're walking down, you, you look. And now I've discovered, I, I, it's part of my thing is to work out what type of looker they are. What kind, how do they look into the mirror, into the window? What kind of person is it? See, the first type of person is actually what you call a glancer. A glancer will be walking down the street, they're quite sort of paced, and they walk and they look and they have to turn away quickly because they don't want to be spotted by the rest of us. Because it's considered in today's society bad form to look at yourself. And in fact, um, I actually remember um, being in a prayer meeting and, and a lady who was, um, was in the church got all angry and upset and offended because she saw me in a prayer meeting in a small room seem, look at myself in the mirror reflection while we're praying. And it offended her. And I'm left going, it's my face. I can look at it if I like. <laughs> I mean, it's not like I stood there and did my lipstick. It's like, <laughs> I mean, I just looked and then carried on because it was a small room in a big mirror. You see yourself. I mean, it's like, but because she didn't like what's looking back at her, she felt that nobody else should look at themselves. And, uh, and that's a fact. And so sometimes people don't... But, you know, a lot of people, they're going to... So you get the glancer, and the glancer, and they look, and they turn away, and they carry on. Now, you know they're a glancer, and they weren't looking in the shop window because they do it two shops along. Not one shop, two shops, because you've got to get a second look. They didn't look long enough to see whether everything was okay. So they've got to get a second look. And then, and then you have the fake window shopper. The fake window shopper is working, moving more slowly than the glancer. And what the fake window shopper does, fixes a point in the window and looks at it and is pretending to the rest of the world that they're looking at that item in the window. But in fact, what they're doing is looking at themselves. Oh, yes, that's okay. And they keep their eye on that as they walk past. But they're faking it at that point, And they're just completely, they're just looking. They're not at all interested in what's in the shop they're just looking then you've got the adjuster and the adjusters are, are ladies uh, generally because there are three things you have to adjust your hair your collar and your scarf and uh, so you go through they go they look they go put the collar down because it's been caught adjust their scarf and carry on and that's it but probably the most brazen of all people that look in shop windows are the weightlifters and uh, the weightlifters just simply don't care because it's minus two outside with a wind chill factor of minus 12. And they have micro-thin T-shirt on that is three sizes too small. They have jog bottoms, specially bought from the sports shop. Super tight, too small T-shirt. And because it's so hot and warm, they feel the necessity to roll up the sleeves. And so... And as they walk down, they don't just look. They have that, that brazen, smug smile where they look into the wind and they look and they flex their muscles and they ripple their pec muscles across their chest a bit. And they just stop and look at themselves because they are convinced that all women are attracted to this muscular form. And I know, I know that isn't true because Cheryl married me. And... <laughs> So, so, but they don't know that, and so they, they're convinced that this form is just, and, and they just, they get, they look, and 
course, they, they take some ages to get down the street because they get to another shop window and you just got to do it all over again. <laughs> but you know the amazing thing about looking at yourself is that all of us spend time looking in the mirror and we, what we're really looking for is, is a sense of okayness, that I'm okay with who I am and who, I, who am I anyway. We're looking for a sense of satisfaction, a sense of peace, that the person looking back is a person that we're okay with. And that sense that people are looking, and the Bible says that if we read the Word of God, but we don't do it, we're like a person who looks in the mirror but forgot who was looking back. Because we live according to our identity. We live according to the person who we believe that is looking back at us. We, our life and our actions are instinctive to what we think and who we think we are. And you know, what the Bible here is saying is that sin, because Paul is, uh, sorry, uh, because James, sorry Paul, I'm thinking, who wrote this book? <laughs> the clue's in the name. And uh, <laughs> James is saying anger is sin. So basically what he's talking about is any kind of action, any kind of lifestyle which is not in agreement with God's word is an action which is not according to your true nature. It's not who you really are. So we're saying is sin is something we do and we think that's who we are, but it's a lie. Because the Bible says if we listen to the word, but we don't live according to the word, we're like a person who forgot who we were. So if we allow anger and we allow all those kind of things to respond out of our heart, what we're really saying, and we will come into agreement and say, well, that's who I am. No, that's not who you are. That's who you believed you were, but you've forgotten what you really look like. You've forgotten what is looking back at you. The Word of God is looking back at you. And what the Bible says about you is what your true identity really is. And so I want you to understand that what happens is that we begin to get into this place where we come into a we come into a place where we forget who we are we get all kind of frustrated with life and so what happens is we begin to believe the lies that are spoken maybe there are experiences maybe there are other things people have people have expressed an opinion about you because of something you did like you, you may be more prone to explosion of anger. So the, you're a very angry person or, or you're a very proud person or, or you're, you're a very um, jealous person or, or there's some kind of name placed upon you and you're kind of and a restriction, a lifestyle which is not something you embrace but something you believe because you found yourself doing it, found yourself living it, found yourself saying it, because what has happened is you're believing the lie and not what God says about you. I remember as a child, I was a very unusual child, I think. When I think back as to the thoughts and things I used to do as a child, 
I would have sent myself for psychiatric attention. But <laughs> and my mother used to find me rocking at three or four in the morning at the very top of the stairs on my knees because I used to like that feeling of just rocking over that dark hole. <laughs> it's quite, I know, I know. <laughs> but there are all sorts of things. I used to have these. I used to have these. It's just just so that you can be worried. So. <laughs> I used to have these deep thoughts. I remember eight, about seven or eight years of age, I remember looking at life and thinking, life is just like one long bridge. Like you're just passing over a bridge, but where are you going and why are you going there? I'm seven or eight years of age, and I remember thinking, why don't people just jump off the bridge? <laughs> I know, it's deep, isn't it? And troubling. Yeah. <laughs> And sometimes when I would get these dark, sort of melancholy moods, sometimes because of uh, a personal failure, something that I hadn't managed to achieve or do, or something that I, I'm just kind of feeling sorry for myself, something that I used to do that would get me back on track is I'll go and I would spend forever looking at myself in the mirror. I know. And you might, I know that none of you can identify with this, but I'm bearing my heart. Be, be kind. And... Uh, but what I used to do is I used to look at my face in the mirror and I would spend forever looking at my face in the mirror and I would just look at my face. And what I discovered is that the person looking back at me was not the person that I felt that I was or what other people said about me. And I found, though that I only as an adult have the words to describe what was going on, as a child I was feeling it without words to describe it. But as a child, I found that I had peace. As a child, I found looking at myself in the mirror was very therapeutic. It was, it was this kind of just peace where I found that the person looking there wasn't bad, wasn't a failure, wasn't useless, wasn't an idiot like other people said I was. And so while I experienced all kinds of failure in all kinds of areas of of school life and those kind of things, I found looking in the mirror that I wasn't that failure. I didn't understand at that time that God was beginning to put within my heart a call to worship and follow Him. I didn't understand God was working in me. But I want you to understand that if you need to know who you are, you've got to look in the mirror. Now, you don't have to look in the physical mirror, you just need to look in the Word of God, which is a mirror. And it's a true mirror which truly reflects who you really are. And the Word reflects back to you your identity. Now this is critical, because what happens is that I find people coming to me with their troubles that they have decided is their identity and their issues. Are you with me? That's in fact a lie. They've taken them up on that's a lie. And they want me to give them a word of advice on how to fix it. Sounds fair? How do I fix this problem? How many of you would like to find that key to fix your problem? I mean, we have lots of problems. Supposing you have a lot of debt and you would like at this action that if you do this, you, this will fix your problem. We would like that kind of advice, wouldn't we? Now, the thing is this, the Bible doesn't tell us what to do. The Bible tells us who we are. 
and who we are responds instinctively. Are you with me now? So the Bible, it gives us advice on the ways of living, but it does in a very broad stroke picture. What the Bible spends most of its time telling you is who you are as a child of God in Jesus Christ. Who you are in Him. What Jesus Christ has done for you. It doesn't speak so much about how you should spend every moment of your day and what actions you should and shouldn't do. It doesn't do that. What it does is it tells you who you are. Because when you know who you are, the instinctive nature of smart living begins to come out of you. I want us to be people who hack life, who find a way. Have you found there are some people who seem to bypass all kinds of issues in life that other people seem to go through? How did they manage to do that? For many, it is simply this. They discovered who they were in Christ and they stopped messing about on the peripheries of human nature and stepped into what the Bible says about them. They discovered their identity because... When you're told what to do, you simply obey an order and that's it. But what about the next day? When you live according to your identity, you live according to what is instinctively flowing out of your heart. You just do it because that's what you do. How many of you here have ever had to drive to a place you don't know where it is and it's complicated and you've got a friend who does know where it is and they know where they're going so you follow them have you done how many people have done that, that I'm sure it's only years you've done that and, and you follow them you drive along and, and you're driving down the road and then they turn left and they turn right and after about half an hour you begin to think man if I didn't have my friend here showing me the way I would never have got here I'm entirely lost and, and eventually you get to the place and you go I'm glad you were here. I would never have got here if it wasn't for you. Now, there's a problem with that. One, you've got to find your way home. And you can't remember how you got there. Two, you'll never find your way back again. Because you got there by somebody else saying, do this, do that, do the other. None of your brain's activity was involved in finding your way. The Bible says that you, you have to look into the Word of God and you have to discover who you really are. Because when you discover who you are, it is a little bit more tricky than following somebody else. In fact, sometimes it's a lot more tricky. But on that journey, you discover the way. And come the second time, you know where it is. In other words, life's actions become instinctive because you learnt how to walk with God and how to walk in His wisdom and walk in His ways and you learn how to navigate through life's more challenging situations rather than just being told what to do. Many times Cheryl and I have had the privilege of counselling people and walking through restoration. Many people, and I would imagine many people in this room have had traumatic pasts, things which have been so difficult they've found it very hard in their heart and their life to reconcile that and so it become it comes with them if you can't reconcile a trauma that it remains unreconciled unreconciled it remains an active part of your thought your emotion and your life and, and so one of the things that we we do is we've helped people change their mind about 
how they think about themselves and what they believe that God says about them, etc. One of the things that the, the difference between success and failure is, is what people believe about themselves. And, and say, for instance, you might have someone and, and they would say, I, I believe God hates me. And people do. People do believe that God hates them. And so we would say, well, what is the truth? God loves me. Okay, I want you to wake up every day and I want you to say for 40 days, God loves me. Now, I found this. They can say it for 40 days. You could say it for 400 days and still not believe it. It's true, but you're only doing what you're told, not what you discovered. See, the Bible says here, look. Let me go back. James chapter 1. It says... In verse 24, you see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. You see, the Bible has been sown into our heart. It has been deposited in our spirit. And what has been deposited, if we walk in what God has put in us then there is a revelation and this is what we have to do to hack life we have to discover what God sowed in us what did God sow in your heart what did he say about you not what anybody else said what did God say about you what has he sown into your heart well I don't know what he's sown in my heart that's because we're looking out there in shop window reflections rather than looking into the Word of God which has been sown in here. One of the things I discovered back in 2010, I'm praying and I'm, um, I'm walking down the road and I'm praying and I began to realize this. Every good gift that God has given us, every good gift that God has given us is a gift which has been sown into my life that I might redeem it in Christ, that I might bring it by faith. And I began to realize that if I began to confess what was in my heart, then that is what God will bring forth. Rather than just confessing what was positive and good, let's confess what is alive and true. And I began to confess the Word of God. And I began to confess what He said, what I discovered. So I'm walking down the street... And I'm confessing, I'm confessing out of my heart wonderful things about my wife and my children. I'm confessing out of my heart um, great things about the church and my friends and family. I'm confessing out of my heart. And I'm discovered that every stronghold began to just pop, disappear, moved away, moved away. Why? Because suddenly I'm seeing my identity not according to the surroundings, not according to circumstances. I'm not finding shallow positive words because we like positive words but somehow they just seem a little shallow don't they it just seemed a little crass it just not quite and so what we have to understand is that we don't speak positive words we speak life words and I began to realize that as I spoke out of my heart that God has sown into my heart the word of truth and what has been sown into me shall come to life shall come and bring new life in people's hearts. I want you to know that God has brought us into a place 
where we have to live with him. And it says here in Isaiah 55 verse 11. I want you to see this. It says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. You see, God has sent forth his word into your heart to bring forth the person that God says you are. You are not just a child saved so that you can go to heaven. You are a magnificent part of his incredible plan that has been established to bring hope and redemption into people's life. We are life hackers. We are the one who bypass the sorrows of other people's lives and we walk and we've been in those sorrows ourselves. We know what those sorrows are like. But there is a word which brings all of these things into redemption. There is a word that puts an end to to that sorrow. You may have been going through it for years, but the Word of God says enough is enough. I'm finishing it now. I'm bringing new life over you. I need you to understand that, you know, when we believe the lie, we turn into a people who drift. There is a law of drift. Let me just finish on this. There is a law of drift. And every little lie that you believe causes you to drift. It causes you to drift. How many of you found that in today's society, how different is this world today 10 years ago? How different is it 20 or 30 years ago? How different? I mean, it's like crazy, isn't it? What has happened today's society? Well, it drifted. It didn't just like overnight change its mind. It just took on little and it drifted. There are moral, social, spiritual things that you begin to believe because about your life and about your world and about God and about church and about social behavior, the things that you believe and you just accept a little bit more and you accept a little bit more and you accept a little bit more and you drift. There's only one way to overcome drift and it's found in white water rafting. White water, I've got friends in Iceland and we sometimes go over there, haven't been for a couple of years but Iceland is a fabulous place and a lot of white, white, white water, as you can imagine. And the friends were saying this. There is only one way to remain in control of white water. And that is paddle faster than the water is going. Wow. You see, sometimes we find ourselves in the river, horrendous river that is surging. But God's word is more powerful and is faster working than the words that comes from the enemy. When we speak the word of God, we are paddling faster. Therefore, we are in control of where we are going. I want you to understand that you have to come back to his word and you speak it out. God, what did you say about my marriage? God, what did you say about my children? God, what did you say about my work? God, what did you say about my church? God, what did you say about this nation? God, what did you say about my bank account? God, what did you say about the dream that you placed within my heart? God, what did you say? What is the word that has been put within my heart? I speak out that word and I begin to declare that which you deposited into me, that which I believed once I believe again, that which has been sown, I 
speak it out now. And I'm paddling faster than any water would want to take away from me and, and shoo me onto the rocks. But no, I can bypass every rock. I can bypass every dangerous situation and circumstance. I can navigate through the most horrendous waterfalls. Why? Because the Word of God is more powerful and more in line with His purposes for my life. Come on now. Let's all stand up, shall we? Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.